Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our risen and living Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. God's word which we receive this morning is from the Gospel of Mark chapter 8 verses 27 to 38. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi and on the road he asked his disciples saying to them who do men say that I am? So they answered John the Baptist but some say Elijah and others one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are the Christ. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. When he had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So far the word of the Lord. Sanctify us by your truth, O Lord. Your word is truth. Amen. When I was a student at Emmanuel in Eau Claire, there was one professor in particular, and he's still there, some of you will know who I'm talking about, who insisted you always show your work. Even if you got the answer right, if you got it right in the wrong way, you'd still get marks at least partially off. Similarly, when uh, I give the worksheets to the confirmation students, uh, some of those worksheets ask the students not only to mark true or false, but if you mark false, to tell why it's wrong. It's not good enough just to know the answer. You also have to understand why. In our text, Peter knows the right answer. He gives the right answer. You are the Christ the son of the living God. But he can't explain why. He knows the right answer, but he, he gets there in the wrong way. And we see that very clearly just a little bit later when Jesus rebukes Peter because he doesn't understand what it means that Jesus is the Christ. Similarly, we just confessed with Peter in the Nicene Creed that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. But do we understand what that means? Do we understand what it means for Jesus? Do we understand what it means for us? So this morning we're going to take a look at some of the Old Testament prophecies about the coming of the Christ and seek to correctly understand them with regard to Jesus' teaching and the New Testament explanations. And today would have been a good day to bring the screen up as we, we go through these passages, but I didn't want to bring the screen up here with communion in just a little bit, so instead... I printed these passages in the back of your bulletin, so you can follow along if you like. It's on page 25 of your bulletin. 
And we're going to start with Psalm 72. Here we have a prophecy about the coming of the Messiah that was written by Solomon, the great king. Psalm 72, verse 2 reminds us, He will judge your people with righteousness and your poor with justice. This is one of the big themes about the coming of Christ, that he will bring righteousness and justice to the earth. And certainly that's something that we very much long for and look forward to. Uh, We want rulers who are going to do what's right instead of just uh, doing whatever the rich men want us to do. Similarly, in Isaiah 11.4, we're told that with righteousness he shall judge the people and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall slay the wicked. Even today, we know and understand how often it's not the, necessarily the right thing that's done or the right judgment that's made, but very often the rich and the powerful get their way. Even if they're not bribing people in office, they can often afford and pay for the best lawyers. And we know and that can be a source of irritation when it's the rich and powerful that get his way and the little man is kind of forgotten. Jeremiah 33, 15, again, In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. So all these passages promise us that at the coming of the Christ he's going to to bring righteousness and justice. And so we can understand why Peter was confused when Jesus talks about going up to Jerusalem to die. Not only if he dies, not only is he not bringing the type of righteousness and justice to this earth that, that Peter thinks he should be, But he himself is the object of great injustice. What do you mean you're going to go and be betrayed and delivered up to be be crucified? You, an innocent man. The Old Testament says you're going to bring justice, not be the object of such a great injustice. Well, how does Jesus explain this, this righteousness, this justice that he comes to bring? Well, here we can look at some of the parables, especially the parables of Luke. Uh, The Gospel of Luke is one that in particular picks up on this Old Testament theme of righteousness and justice for the poor and really focuses on it in his Gospel. And so we have parables in in the Gospel of Luke like that of the the Pharisee and the tax collector, which our Sunday school kids learned uh, a few weeks ago. And there in the the, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, you have the Pharisee who believes himself to be rich. Not rich in earthly goods, but he believes himself to be rich towards God. Look at all the things I've done. Look at what a good person I am. And then you have the tax collector who is poor in spirit. Poor not in earthly things. The tax collector is probably richer than the the Pharisee in earthly wealth, but he's poor and humble of spirit. And Jesus says, this man, the tax collector, went down to his house justified rather than the other. And so he's teaching us that the, the righteousness that, that God is, that the Christ is going to bring for the poor is not the righteousness and the justice of this earth, but that condemnation of the arrogant, like that Pharisee, who think that they are good enough in and of themselves and are not repentant of their sins. And the justice that the Christ brings is the justice that gives forgiveness to the poor in spirit. And so Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Or again, we have the parable of the prodigal son. 
There again you have the older son who thinks it's unfair, it's unjust, it's not right that the younger son who wasted his inheritance and lived in a sinful lifestyle for so long should get a party when he comes home and get the fatted calf. Where's my fatted calf? And yet God, through the, uh, the mouth of the, the father of those two sons, teaches us that this is the justice of God, that he rejoices in the forgiveness and the return of this lost son. Or again, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus, which, which the kids had just last week uh, in Sunday school. And that one in particular shows this, what type of justice is, what type of righteousness that Christ is bringing. Because there you have the rich man, rich, fat with the earthly goods, and then you have Lazarus, who is poor, filled with sores. And yet, the rich man is condemned and goes to hell, and the poor Lazarus receives the righteousness of God and goes to heaven. So all these uh, parables illustrate what God meant when he foretold through the prophet Isaiah with righteousness, he shall judge the poor. Not that he would bring the righteousness that we think of of this earth, but that he would bring that righteousness of God, which Paul talks about in Romans. The righteousness which belongs to God and which is given to us through faith because Jesus died for our sins. That he would lift up the poor and give them the righteousness of heaven. Paul makes this very clear in Romans 3.26. He says, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness. So he's picking up on these very Old Testament prophecies that we've been talking about. He says, God is demonstrating this righteousness he promised in this way, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. We make the same mistake that Peter made. We make the same mistake thinking that the Christ has come to bring righteousness and justice to this earth. When we come to Christ, expecting him to make things fair. And this happens sometimes, especially when uh, married couples come to, come to me for marriage counseling. And they're not so much there to hear about God's forgiveness and, and learn to forgive and have mercy and love one another again. But they come more, some of them, not all of them, but some of them come more because they want me to take their side. Tell my spouse that they're wrong. Tell them that they should do what I'm saying they should do. That's that same kind of attitude that, well, Christ ought to establish what I think is fair. And we see this in the Gospels that some people came to Jesus with this exact same attitude. There was a, a young man who came to Jesus and said, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Well, that seems fair. His brother should rightly divide the inheritance. But Jesus doesn't side with one brother or the other, but instead he rebukes that man. He says, beware of covetousness, beware of greed. Rather than being so concerned about the, the, your inheritance and the money that you think you deserve from your father, instead you should be more concerned about repenting. You should be more concerned about your soul and the soul of your brother and learning to live in forgiveness. Or similarly, of course, we have the account of Mary and Martha. And how Martha, we know how Martha came to Jesus and said, tell my sister to help out with the, with the chores. Tell Mary to help me out with the cleaning and the serving. And again, we would say, well, that sounds fair. Well, yeah, Jesus, you should, you should tell Mary to help out with the serving. But again, we know that that's not what Jesus does. Instead, he tells Martha, you should be more concerned, like your sister Mary, about receiving God's word and hearing God's word 
than with the serving. So Christ makes it clear that he didn't come to this earth to bring the justice that we think of. He didn't come to this earth to make things fair. And when we come to God and say, well, it's not fair, it's not right, I deserve this, I deserve that, then we're coming like that Pharisee in the, in the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. This is what I deserve. Instead of coming with that poverty of heart and that repentant heart to which Jesus says, to this, to this repentant heart in faith, I will give the righteousness of God. We go back to Psalm 72, this time verse 8, and here we have, again, another prophecy about the coming of Christ. He shall have dominion also from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. So here, once again, the prophecy of the Christ is, this is referring back to the kingdom of David. Under David and Solomon, the, king of Is, the kingdom of Israel stretched from the sea in the south all the way to the great rivers, the Tigris and Euphrates in the north. And so this prophecy is referring back to that, well, Christ's kingdom is going to establish his kingdom of David, this great kingdom of David once again. But it goes even further, even beyond the river, even unto the ends of the earth. Similarly, in Psalm 2.8, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, and the ends of the earth for your possession. Or Daniel 7.14, Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. So again, the Old Testament seems to be quite clear that when the Christ comes, he's going to establish a kingdom over all the earth, from end to end. And so once again, we can understand Peter's confusion. How can you go to Jerusalem to die? You, you haven't established a kingdom at all yet, much less one that, that covers the whole earth. Well, once again, we see that Peter is incorrect. He misunderstands what God means when he says that Christ will reign. He, he's thinking of an earthly kingdom and an earthly reign. But Jesus <coughs> teaches us, again, often in parables, what it means that he will reign from, er, from river to river to, to the ends of the earth. Now, if Luke really focuses on that, that righteousness, that justice that Jesus came to bring to the poor, well, it's the Gospel of Matthew that really focuses on what it means that Jesus will reign in the kingdom of God and the coming of the kingdom of God. And so in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, we have parables like the parable of the sower and the seed. And Jesus explicitly begins that parable, the kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like a man sowing seed. And so he teaches us that God's kingdom does not come like earthly kingdoms through the force of arms, and armies, but rather that God's kingdom comes through the preaching of the word. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. It seems small and insignificant. It does not look powerful like the Roman Empire or the British Empire, and yet it grows and becomes this greatest of all shrubs. Or again, the kingdom of God is like a king who arranged a marriage for his son. And you remember how in that parable, when the first group of people who were invited didn't want to come to the wedding feast, what does the king do? He doesn't send out his armies or his guards to force them to come, but he sends out his messengers. He sends out messengers to invite all the people, go and find people in the highways and the byways and invite them to the wedding feast. And so once again we see what does it mean that God will reign, that Christ will reign 
It means that the word of God, through the word of God, he will reign in the hearts of his believers. This too we see in Psalm 19, verse 4. Their line has gone out throughout all the earth, their words, their words to the end of the world. It is the word of God, the preaching of Christ, that has gone out through all the world, not Christ's armies. And also Jesus, in the same way, told Pilate, of course, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight. That's how the kingdoms of this world are established. But rather, I came to bear witness to the truth. Once again, Paul makes this clear in, in Romans 10, 17 to 18. He quotes the very psalm we just read, Psalm 19:4, and explains it. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. For I say, their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth. And so we see in the book of Acts, chapter 2, that Christ's kingdom is established from sea to sea, even to the ends of the earth, even ten days after his ascension into heaven. Because there in Acts 2, in the account of Pentecost, we have all these people gathered from the ends of the earth, and what happens? They hear each in his own tongue the wonderful works of God. And they bring that word, that message, through which Christ reigns in their hearts, back to the ends of the earth. Certainly today as well, there's no corner of the earth in which God's word isn't preached and proclaimed. There's no corner of the earth in which Christ does not reign, at least in the hearts of some, through the preaching of that word. Once again, we, we make the same mistake as Peter, uh, expecting Christ to, to bring about an earthly kingdom, expecting Christ to bring about an earthly peace, when we look to political forces to right all wrongs and establish a a nirvana, a utopia on this earth. Now certainly it's a good thing to, to do our best to vote for uh, the person we think is going to be best in the office and to, and to pray to God for our nation. Certainly those are, are good things. But when we become too wrapped up in politics, believing that we can solve all earthly problems through politics, we forget that Christ reigns in the hearts of the preaching of the word. It doesn't really matter so much who's in Washington as it matters who's in the hearts of the people of the nation. Where Christ reigns in the hearts of people, there you will have the righteousness and peace of God. But where Christ does not reign, where there is no faith in God and no repentance of sin, there all you have is sin. Psalm 72, and we looked at a couple verses from Psalm 72, the Psalm 72 is a, is a beautiful psalm written by Solomon for telling the coming of the Messiah and what kind of king that he would be. And I would encourage you all sometime this week to read through that psalm. And read through it thinking about the things we discussed today. Read through it with the understanding that the, when Christ talks about, or when Solomon talks about the Messiah bringing righteousness and justice, he's talking about him bringing that grace of God which gives righteousness to the repentant, that gives the righteousness of God, the forgiveness of sins to the repentant. And when he talks about Christ reigning throughout the whole earth, he's talking about God, Jesus reigning in the hearts of his believers. In the Old Testament, Abraham doubted God's promise. He even, in his heart, laughed at the promises of God. Shall I, when I'm 100 years old, have a son? That's ridiculous, God. And yet God fulfilled that promise despite the fact that Abraham doubted it, didn't he? 
And so too, we, the, the promises of God often seem foolish to us. But our gospel reading calls us to open our eyes and look around at the world around us. Not to look around at the news and all the sin and all the terrible things that people are doing, which only reminds us of, of the sinfulness of men. But instead to, to look around at the gospel that is preached throughout the ends of the earth. And how Christ reigns in the hearts of his people, even unto the ends of the earth. And to look around and see that righteousness, that grace of God that is poured out through Jesus Christ, which is poured out for you in the Lord's Supper today, in which God forgives the sins of those who are poor in spirit and need that forgiveness, chief of sinners, though I be. This is who Christ is, uh, the God who keeps his promises. Amen. The peace of God which surpasses all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.